Welcome back, guys. We've got a busy summer coming up with a ton of really great new content that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. And starting things off, this is the 56th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. If you like AIR and want to show us some support, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore AIR podcast or subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash AIR podcast. We've also got a semi-regular Substack newsletter that you can sign up for at airpodcast.substack.com to stay up to date. This month, I'm joined by German producer and live performer Reiko Müller, also known as Isolé. A veteran in electronic music, Raiko has always done things differently. Although perhaps best known for his 90s hit Beaumont Plage, Raiko's career has steadily chugged along with albums like Rest and We Are Monster earning him enduring critical acclaim and a laudatory name among his industry peers. Issuing DJing for live performance and putting out only a few albums in total over the course of his career, Raiko's path is perhaps untraditional, avoiding the spotlight in favor of the simple pursuit of tenacious, truthful music making. In this conversation, Raiko and I discuss his unique trajectory and life outside the music scene, its impact on his creativity, and, in the midst of it all, how his latest effort, Resort Island, has come to life. Raiko, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, welcome. Pleasure. So I've, of course, been doing a lot of research leading up to our chat today. Um, and I kind of get the sense that maybe interviews and like doing press and being in the spotlight in this way is not generally your your vibe so much. Um, so how are you feeling about talking with me today? Nervous? Excited? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I'm a bit nervous and excited. Also, I have to, to speak in mm -hmm. English. It's <laughs> like like more limited in my <laughs> expression but at the same time yeah I'm, uh, it's always fun i think i have to get over i have to get because when you produce the music you're some kind in your in your own bubble all mm -hmm. the time getting out of it and speaking to people and usually it's a good experience mm -hmm. even though in the beginning i might be a bit shy in doing that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it seems like maybe one of the things that you loved about electronic music when you first started making it is that you could just kind of make it alone in your in your studio or in your bedroom and then put it on a record and that was it. Like you didn't have to go through all of this other sort of extra stuff. Um, 
Can you speak about maybe that initial interest for you, uh, just in, in terms of it being this solo mission? I think at the time I used to I used to play in a, at that time before starting making electronic music I I used to play in a band for a little while but it wasn't really my type of band or maybe my type of music I find it a bit difficult having this band situation and also having a band leader mm-hmm. and so you had to do a lot of compromise and also I do not really play an instrument so that's one the, also a big limitation. And I think that's why like discovering that I can do all by myself on my own felt some like having much more possibilities mm-hmm. and not having to do any compromises. Though sometimes I'm a little bit jealous about like bands or people, especially when traveling or playing playing live performances. I sometimes think it's maybe more comfortable if you're two or if you're in a band instead mm-hmm. of doing that by your own. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's obviously there's pros and cons to both, but I guess doing it on your own also means that you have a bit more sort of control over things. And like you said, you don't have to make those kind of compromises um, that I guess you would with other people. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think when you when you're with more people, you kind of maybe you have more feeling of a team. Well, sometimes it's it's I identify myself with everything I do and sometimes maybe this is a little different when you would do this together with someone and Mm -hmm. maybe have more like a a different approach like as a group or a, a team. So how has it been for you grappling with that transition that we talked about, you know, from bedroom producer to producer who is more in the spotlight uh, and then into, you know, whatever position you feel like you're in these days? Like how has that sort of evolution been for you? It's difficult to explain. <laughs> Maybe one of the first thing was when I have been asked to do live performances mm-hmm. because I never really thought about that when I started making music and I didn't have this this idea that when you produce electronic music on your own because it's mainly what I do a lot is like programming and so I didn't really see how to how to do a live performance. So that was something I had to think about and find a way to do that because you're not playing an instrument. So this was some kind of a challenge, I guess. Yeah. Also going on stage, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I think I like making music, but my first idea wasn't like necessarily being on stage. I also like very much just the studio work. I guess it's kind of like, um, you know, we we're talking a bit about doing press and that sort of feels like the the necessary evil, I guess, of being <laughs> of being an artist. Like you kind of have to talk about your work and you kind of have to do this part of going on stage even if you don't necessarily want to. And like, I, I know what you mean because even for me, n- not necessarily doing press about my podcast, which I don't really do. When people just ask me about my podcast <laughs> in real life, I find it really difficult to talk about it or, or even just answer questions about my job or what I'm doing or what I have coming up. Um, so how is that for you, the sort of sort of like necessary evils of your job as a as an artist? Well, it ha- it's, at the same time, it's a lot of attention that I get. Mm-hmm. And uh, so t- just making the music without getting some some attention would maybe be frustrating. Sure. <laughs> so, so that's that's definitely a, a positive side to it. Mm-hmm. And then, well, I like this kind of attention. I also like talking about it. 
maybe it depends on on the questions. I usually do not really want to to explain everything <laughs> or explain the music or I think it's not even like a personal thing. It's more a general idea of of music and I don't necessarily think that the artist should explain it uh-huh. or needs to explain it. But I like the idea that it's something that has a bit of its own life and and that the listener has uh, the freedom to interpretation or whatever he hears in that music. That's why usually I don't try to how to say like like really to explain or to give it some sort of definition what what the music means or mm-hmm. what the title are supposed to mean because I don't think there is something like that. Yeah, and I think also it doesn't necessarily like the more that the more that you try to put things into words, the more that you try to explain, the less that it has meaning. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, somehow I think the more you explaining it, the more you give it some limits at mm. the same time. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that might be some approach if if this is really if you really start to do something with 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 a message. Mm-hmm. And you have a message and that's in the first place and then you you create something and you really want to have this emphasize on this message but that's not uh, well that's not what i'm doing or that's not my approach so so that's why usually i'm really curious and i'm happy if people tell me what they are feeling or what their interpretations are and mm-hmm. even though sometimes if it happens to me that i think oh i have never thought about looking at it, at it uh, in this way mm-hmm. it it still makes a lot of sense because i think i cannot be aware of all kinds of or i'm not aware while doing of all kinds of influences and even sometimes how it might sound to other people's ears yeah i know what you mean and i find i find i have sort of the same feeling of like this like necessary evil feeling about like social media for example um instagram specifically like i just really cannot be bothered with that and i don't i don't i don't want to do it but because i love my podcast i do it anyway um yeah and I, I get the sense that that's sort of how you feel about, you know, t- talking about your albums or p- putting a meaning to certain things is because you kind of have to. Like, is it frustrating for you to do all of these things <laughs> around making music when all you really want to do is make music? Mm, no, it's not frustrating. No, because I think just just making music is maybe a bit too isolated. And I, <laughs> because I think music is communication. Mm hmm. So, but I like the idea that music, I, for example, I do not, you, so there are no vocals in the music. There's no text in there. So there's a lot of going on that is maybe difficult to put into words. Mm-hmm. And that's what's great about music. In order to keep it alive, I think it's better not trying to, to fix it or to give it like a final, final interpretation or, or definition. But still, it's interesting to talk about it. I mean, you can try to approach it, and you don't do not need to 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 give it this uh, final meaning. Theorizing or um, being imaginative about it instead of like putting it into a strict box or a strict definition. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 And so, as far as I know, um, you're making your living solely from music production. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, more 
from, I guess, from playing. Right. Okay. Actually. So can you speak about maybe the challenges of that? Like I know that, for example, with bands and other sort of solo musicians, they're relying on touring, not only to promote their album, but also to make an income. So what is that balance like for you? Um, you know, having a live set um, and then putting out albums um, and having that as your main source of income. I think I was kind of lucky since maybe when I started in the 90s, there wasn't really like like the idea of uh, an electronic musician being uh, like a, your main job or like some kind of profession, even less for DJs, I guess. It happened to me somehow because I, I produced music and I released uh, records on a label and all of a sudden people were asking me to perform and they would pay me some money for it. And so at that time, I just thought, okay, at some point, why not doing this instead of doing the shitty jobs I was doing? Somehow, this worked very well. I didn't have to think too much about my income or if I will have to enough money. Somehow it worked quite good with my, maybe with my lifestyle. Actually, I wouldn't like to have this kind of thing putting pressure yeah, I was just going to ask yeah. if that was a lot of pressure for you. Yeah, well, I wouldn't. Re of course, like touring or playing live is always a little bit of pressure mm -hmm. because you have to perform, and I'm kind of uh, anxious if I or scared that something could fail or some. But at the same time, I, I I'm really scared from the idea that I would have to do something now because I need money and I'm lucky that I have never really come into this situation so far. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, in one of your interviews that you did, I think it was quite a while ago when you were putting out We Are Monster mm. and you were talking about how you were training as a teacher. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, since then, you've just been doing music and there hasn't been any time where you've had to like waver from that. Well, sometimes I'm thinking about if I could do something different. It some depends, it happened to... So, but <laughs> I, luckily, I was never in the situation where it was really by, by some sort of, uh, let's say, financial pressure or financial situation that put me in really under pressure. I think, I think the strongest our situation was actually after the pandemic. Sure, of course. Because then it was really like the situation. Okay, how is it going to? Maybe before the pandemic, it slowed down a little, but then it really uh, felt, okay, I never had this kind of a break. Not really after the pandemic, because I think for some artists, it has really been restarting like before. Yeah. And from, for some others, it just didn't. Definitely. I think yeah. that's, a, that's actually a really good point. Um, I have friends, especially who are a little bit older, who are finding that since the pandemic, it's just been really hard for them to get back into having the same amount of gigs that they've had before. And a lot of them have actually like pivoted to different careers, like still taking gigs here and there. But also, uh, you know, one of them is writing a, a graphic novel. Another one is doing graphic design. So, yeah, I can imagine that that was a, sort of a tricky thing to navigate, especially because obviously none of us were used to having that situation happen before. Yeah, I think the album is also part of the result of that. 
situation. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come back to the album in a little bit, but I wanted to ask about this sort of balance of creativity and having music be your job. Like, do you find that that is distracting at all or a bit of pressure when you're trying to be creative or are you good at separating these two things? You know, when you're trying to think about making the next track or making your next album, do you also have it in the back of your head? Like, okay, it needs to be able to make me money. Mm, It feels to me like since when i'm getting older like my maybe my 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 enthusiasm and also my my focus on music gets shorter mm. and usually it's frustrating when you're trying to do something and you don't have uh, ideas or you're not there's no inspiration and but i think that has ever been like that maybe since it's a job it becomes more Sometimes you need to relax because you still need to have fun in doing it. And maybe some, I don't know exactly if maybe this, this means also like being professional that you get, you come to that point that you relax and you still can have fun, even though it's uh, maybe your job or mm-hmm. it can put, put you under pressure. Yeah. But usually if it's if I'm not inspired after a while, I, I really got bad moods. <laughs> I mean, do you feel like the job part of it, you know, you, you, you said how you feel like sometimes you just have to still have fun with it. Like, do you think that the job part kind of takes away some of the fun? Sometimes for me, for example, with the podcast, I, I don't make any money from it. Um, and I've had people ask me why I don't have ads or do sort of um, brand partnerships or whatever. But I just think it would be more pressure and then I would feel like I was having less fun doing it and I wonder if you get that sense as well like because it's your job sometimes it it isn't fun just by nature of it being a job yeah I think sometimes it's it's uh, it's well or I don't like the idea that making music is uh, is fun all the time (laughs) (laughs) it's not that it's all the time fun and you just make so it's kind of work but you like that work or i i like that work and you really get into it but sometimes like the process of of coming or of getting to an uh, getting an idea or having something that's worth to spend hours with is is can be really annoying or so it needs a little bit of uh, maybe discipline. Sure. I don't know because I, I do that like for over 20 years now. I have no idea how I would, <laughs> how my relation to music would be if it wouldn't be a, if I, be a job. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, yeah, at the same time, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes it's even some kind of therapy, mm-hmm. I guess. Sure. Previously, you've talked about how rather than relying on exciting life experiences or like big events or happenings in your life to fuel your creativity, your inspiration comes from just being bored and making a challenge for yourself and kind of what you mentioned about this discipline or it not always being fun. So I gather that you're kind of just generally good on the creative side. Like it doesn't seem like you struggle very often to find something to say because you just have that discipline, would you say? Mm. (laughs) Personally, I think, personally, I would love to have much more inspiration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that I have, I don't feel like someone who has like plenty of ideas and uh, I could do, I mean, I have only released three albums or four albums in 20 years. <laughs> so it's not that I I have like, like, uh, I, 
I think there are other artists that release like <laughs> two albums a year or something. So. Sure, that's true. <laughs> so I, I feel like it feels like I spent quite a lot of time in trying to to come up with good ideas and yeah. Um, something else that you've said about this topic in particular is that you firstly try to entertain yourself before you start thinking about entertaining your audience or other people. Um, so is it really that simple in terms of the process? Like when you're thinking about what you're going to put out into the world, firstly, you're thinking about what you like. No, <laughs> I think it needs to be a mix. It's a mixture of both. I, I think somehow even in an unconscious way, there's like some some kind of uh, idea of people or listeners or dancers like a crowd mm -hmm. or people like pinks and even like the other music i have in mind or i'm listening to i think it reacts <laughs> well i don't think i'm disconnected in this mm -hmm. way there's always some kind of connection even if you're not really aware of it. But at the same time, you need to have fun yourself that other people can have fun with what I'm doing, I think. Yeah, I was going to say, when I read that quote, I guess it was quite a while ago. Maybe it was a mistranslation. It was an interview in German. Okay. Um, but when I read, when I read that quote, uh, I was thinking, like, how do you balance wanting your music to be understood and accessible with with wanting it to be like something that you like and something that's introspective and um, something that's good for you like how is that balance for you I don't know I, I don't know if I'm that's something I really uh, thinking about yeah I'm not sure if it's it's fun because it's a question I do not have uh, an answer to <laughs> it's like something I'm not aware of then what about when it actually comes down to putting it out into the world, putting an album out into the world, what is that like for you? Does it become a bit tricky, you know, if you're too introspective or thinking too much about, you know, in your own world sort of thing? Like you talked before about be being a bit isolated. Is it difficult when you do want to put something out? Uh, how to say? I, I'm, it's very exciting, definitely. But, but um, I think generally the most difficult part is for me that... that I have a certain time when when I'm working on a track on music that I really enjoyed very much myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm really into that. But usually it this ends at some point, especially when you when you spend hours and hours in in and I can get very very obsessed or perfectionist in in the end. Mm -hmm. Or, or sometimes if, if you don't get the right mix fixed and you have to restart and so it needs sometimes so sometimes at that point it would be cool to have maybe uh, to give it to someone else that he's going to fix the mix. Mm. But I since I'm doing this also by myself at some point sometimes I reach a point where I just have heard it too often. 
So it happens to me, for example, that I send stuff for, to the mastering mm -hmm. and I get back the mastering and I'm supposed to to say, okay, if, or to, to have an opinion if I like it or if I don't like it or if it's good mastering. And sometimes I just have so little, um, how to say, it's so close to that I just can't have an opinion anymore on it. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and I can't even enjoy it anymore. So I really need some, this, some, some how to say, like I need a break actually. I need <laughs> several weeks or months not to hear it until I maybe can enjoy it again. And that's, and that's usually the part where it's harder to imagine for me that some other people are going to enjoy it because I cannot enjoy it myself. It would need to have some sort of self-confidence and trust in what I've felt and what I've done like weeks ago or a month ago and just leave it like that and say, okay, you, if, if I liked it like at that point, It's 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 gonna be good. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I interviewed um Peter Van Hosen. This was years ago now for for this series, and he talked a lot about this kind of perfectionism, and that he had to really learn when to stop working on something because if he had the choice, then he would just work on it forever. So has there been kind of a learning curve for you in that sense of like knowing when to stop? And I guess it's, I guess it's maybe more difficult. You know, we were talking earlier about having about being a producer and how it's a very sort of solo thing um, and I guess that is one of the negatives I guess that you don't have anybody to kind of help you figure out when to stop or when something is good or when something is bad well you could ask someone you <laughs> could I mean you're never I think you ever you always can can give it to someone to have a listen or, or that's usually what's very helpful for example listening to your own music together with someone else, mm -hmm. usually someone that that I know or you know a little bit, that you have like a common taste in music or some, or you would expect the person to, to enjoy the same, this kind, or you would want this person to enjoy the music. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's very, uh, how to say, very enlightening. <laughs> It really makes you listen sometimes like in a very different way than listening on your own. Mm -hmm. So this can be very helpful. Uh, I don't do it very often, <laughs> but usually that's a good way to, to find out also if, if, if it's finished or if it's good or if it's, it's... Because it happens that it happens quite often that the one day I think, wow, that's the greatest idea I ever had. <laughs> Especially, I don't know, you're, it's, it's a lot about, because it's very emotional, it has to do with your moods. And maybe, I don't know, you smoke a joint or you're allowed to drink something. And sometimes you, 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 you do something which is great. It, it really represents maybe your kind of feeling at this moment. Mm -hmm. But the next day it's just gone. Yeah. I mean, I guess the longer that you, the, for me, it's like the longer that I sit with something, the more opportunity there is for my opinion about it to change, whether that's in a good way or a bad way. Like sometimes I'll record something that I think is really bad. And then two weeks later, I listen to it again. And it's actually not as bad as I thought. So I guess it can kind of go both ways. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I realized just as, uh, that the next day, I don't have any motivation in going on with that idea. Mm -hmm. 
So it's kind of disappointing. It's a bit frustrating. It's like, oh, why, what happened to me last night? Why, <laughs> why did I think that's so? And because it feels like you spend time with it, and you also maybe you cannot trust your own, your own senses yeah. somehow. And this is something I don't really like, but it happens. Mm -hmm. Do you, Do you feel like that having that trust in your own taste or your own senses? Is that trust developing in a good way as you get older and as you have more time and experience as a producer? No, actually not. I feel like, I feel like, well, I think there are different views on music because that's, that's the very emotional part. And I think emotions are very difficult to, well, that's something you cannot really rely on. You have them someday and the next day, you never know if they're coming back. But there's also like parts of music that um, maybe uh, do not have to do so much with the emotional part, but also like a more abstract way and also mm -hmm. the structures, also like grooves. Of course, there's some emotion into it, but the groove is still can works in a more abstract way, like like just structures and, and textures. Sometimes that's why I like also like abstract For example, abstract techno tracks. Sometimes an abstract techno floor can be more attracting to me than the very, very emotional and very melodic, let's say, house floor. Just because it's maybe it has less to do with your emotions, but more with some other kind of energy that is in the music. So I think that's different things you put into a track. And so, because if music is very emotional, usually it's it. I mean, it's it's awesome for you if you're hit by this kind of emotion. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, it can be just very boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so another thing that you mentioned actually in the press notes for the album was that you used to go out to clubs a lot and listen to a lot of new music when you were first starting out. So you had this kind of clear reference for what you were contributing, what you were contributing to. Yeah. But that sort of dropped off a little bit as you've gotten older. So can you talk a bit about that and maybe um, how that transition was for you? Like, was there an adjustment period in terms of your creativity adapting to being fueled by something other than the scene that you were in? No, not really, actually. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, it's, somehow I think I've, I still get the experience of being in clubs. I used to go out very often. <laughs> so I'm not sure if you really need that to... <laughs> I think that was so often that I have this as a good, uh, let's say, uh, training or like a reservoir <laughs> for like this experience. Of course, I'm listening to... I'm not... It's it's not that I'm listening to tons of music, but usually I'm searching and I'm curious about mm. and to discover something new. How does that all come into play when making something like Resort Island? Uh, I guess that you weren't feeling like... I, I wondered if maybe you felt worried that you weren't up to date with the, the latest sounds or or that there were <laughs> or, or something like that like is there a certain confidence that comes with just knowing what you like and what you want to make and having that be enough yeah sometimes I'm <laughs> I do not really want to know what's like the latest kind of 
of hypes or hits. Sure. <laughs> because that might just uh, affect me in a negative way. So, mm -hmm. I, so that I'm... So even though I'm curious to listen to it, but I'm sometimes not searching for it or I don't need to. Because that when I compare... If you start comparing maybe like what's... What's right now, what's a, a big tune to what you're working on yourself, yourself can be disappointing. And you might mm -hmm. think it's not good, even though people might just like it the way it is. Yeah, I don't know. If it helps you to get more inspiration, then it's great. But if you feel like you need to, to, to keep up with some kind of... I don't, I'm not sure if this always works. What can you tell me about the process of making Resort Island? Um, again, in the press notes, you, you said that it felt like it just developed really naturally, that it was sort of this puzzle being put together, or the pieces kind of just falling into place uh, slowly and naturally. Can you tell me about that? Well, I don't know. It's, it's when I started to make this album in the beginning, I had no idea of what it is going to sound like. So mm -hmm. at some point, you need to start with something. And... With the first track, it you already have like a first idea, and then you put the, you 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 do a next one, and that's how you or it works for me at least. That's how I bit by bit I get like some kind of an idea of of uh, what it is going to sound like, and I think that's how it how usually I'm working when I'm making an album. I I think the idea of the whole album is comes up while I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. But still at the same time I'm I'm not having like 50 tracks that I can choose of. I'm not this creative like doing so many different uh so I I think I rather spend a lot of time on the one idea and mm -hmm. even sometimes it happens that that one track goes through a lot of transitions. Mm -hmm. So it's like remixing myself instead of starting something new. So actually a friend of mine told me that when he was making his latest album, he made like 50 tracks to choose from and then like picked his favorite 12. And then he also was like having these other tracks as like a backup sort of thing. But obviously you work in a different way, but it seems like your way maybe requires that you have more trust in those 12 tracks that you've made? I don't know. I think I really, uh, I'm really kind of jealous if you have 50 tracks to choose off. This <laughs> sure. seems to me like really like the luxury yeah. situation <laughs> to make an album. <laughs> But to me, it sometimes happens that I have 10 tracks and I feel like, oh man, I spent so much time with those, but I still need <laughs> one or two more that would be great i don't know it's just maybe i'm i'm too slow or too perfectionist and i think it's also like the the amount of energy you have i think i also finished it i wasn't sure if it's finished i started at some point like like sending it to friends and and get some feedback and see that's where i am that's how it sounds like and And then sometimes, even sometimes, I think I'm finished, even though if there's still some time to the release and maybe to the mastering. So it's, <laughs> if, as long as there's, there's no final deadline, I might still work on it. 
Like this time, I, I, I really spent a lot of time also in the end in, in doing the, like the mix downs and the mixing. And this was a lot of work that I would have liked to be more easy, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that sometimes that happens if you're working like in a, on your own in a home studio, because you have, you have just like your conditions and you trust into this. And to, to me, when I start, in the beginning, I like to have this situation because you want to have too many options or too many impressions. But then at some point, it's important maybe to, to, to double check and to give it a listen on, on another place or in with other speakers. And I had some moments when I thought, oh, no, that's not really the way I wanted to sound. And mm. uh, so I really got obsessed with trying to get perfect with that. It can be a bit frustrating because it can end up being a lot of work and you have to listen a lot again and again to the same thing you already spend a lot of time with, which is also like, I think at some point you just reach a, a, a point where you cannot go beyond usually. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's like there's a time limit and you should finish before in order to have a good, uh, or you need a break, a long break. <laughs> Yeah. But then this would maybe lead to your album being like released a, a year later or something. Yeah, yeah, When you were talking about how sometimes you'll be sort of remixing yourself that's also how, I think how you approach your live sets and so is that just like another opportunity to to make things even more perfect than they were for the album itself mm, I think sometimes I think it's also about getting into maybe like textures or sounds that you do not get maybe directly out of because I think maybe it's because I'm not using samples or I'm not really someone who is sampling mm -hmm. where you you choose from and you can have like some kind of atmosphere already in the recording. Sometimes just I think just the pure synthesizer sounds I am feel a little bored with. And even like maybe the first ideas or melodies they seem to maybe too obvious or too simple. I think... That's why I'm starting to remixing it or to, to, to give it a more interesting texture or to to make it also maybe more, I don't know how to say it, like to get into something which I wouldn't really have imagined this way. It seems like a never-ending process for you. It can come to that process, but I think there's usually in a good... I'm, I'm very happy with tracks when, when there's a feeling that now this is... Uh, Well, it's finished. This track is finished. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier, you were talking about how when you when you first were asked to play live, you had to kind of think about what exactly that meant for you. Um, so do you think your idea of what it means to play live has changed or evolved since that first time? I think I relaxed myself a little, like from putting myself on a pressure that 
playing live means I have to like improvise or create something in that situation. So because I think that's not really what I'm doing and I'm not this kind of, I think there are so many ways. Everybody has to find out what's the best way for, 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 for yourself to, to perform. And mm -hmm. some people really like to, like to jam, but I never, I never actually, I never really create music by like jamming in this classic way where you have like all your machines and you improvise. And so it's more like, uh, More, more like doing some kind of design or <laughs> job or so that I guess I'm working. So I, I kind of relaxed myself or I gave up the idea that's not something you're, you're going to do live. So I have to find another way. At one point in another interview, you were asked about um, why you're not choosing to DJ as well. And you said that you just don't really have the motivation to listen to a lot of new music and you just prefer to focus on your own music. So is that still how you feel these days about choosing to play live i don't know if if if, if that's that's uh if that was such a like like really a choice mm. because i just maybe if i was like like a dj or a dj i think dj you, you have like this technical part of it mm -hmm. but you need to be some sort of music collector as well you need to spend it's not it's not just about the interest into music you really need to to spend a lot of time in going through all kinds of music and and I think I just prefer to spend time like like with gear and synthesizers and all that and um, because sometimes I think DJing would be like like maybe sometimes would be more fun mm -hmm. just because you do not have to to play your own stuff you could just play something you have heard just one time instead of uh, like thousands of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it hasn't really been a choice. I mean, I entered, I, I ended up being, I think in the beginning, maybe because I had lots of friends who were DJs and it was also like by respect of what they are doing. And sometimes now they say, okay, it could be fun being just DJing. And <laughs> Is there also a risk when you're focusing so much on your own music that you end up you know, sort of comparing what you're doing now to what you've done in the past, especially when you've had a a, um, a release that's so successful like Beaumont Plage. Is it is it kind of tricky to keep that sort of, the, you know, the past instances out of your head when you're making something new? Maybe maybe just in the first year after after the success with Beaumont Plage. Mm -hmm. but, but I think now I'm, it's kind of a, a great thing like to have this kind of, uh, yeah, some sort of discography. Because I, I have tracks that I like better than others. And of course, I'm very happy if there's some really good ones. <laughs> that, that, so, yeah, so I, I think I'm more proud of it. And somehow it's somehow maybe it's even motivating mm -hmm. because you already have these tracks then. And uh, so you can relax and maybe try to do something that comes up. In a past interview you talked about when you were making We Are Monster and you said that was a particularly difficult time for you because you were thinking a lot about your past work and it, you were kind of reinventing yourself after Beaumont Plage. So can you talk a bit about that experience? Well, I think I was, I was maybe, uh, I, I, 
I was maybe a bit too much into this uh, idea of trying to reinvent myself at, mm. somehow. <laughs> or maybe I was like too insecure and just going on with that way or, or doing the, the, the second album after the first one was. And uh, so I really tried to be, do something different. And actually I, I offered at that time, the, I came up to the label with some with the first version of, of a new album. Mm -hmm. And actually, they really didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was like kind of, okay, uh, is it me who is like totally wrong? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or is it the wrong label? Something like that. And this is, this is a, a bit of a weird moment because then you have to decide somehow, are you going to trust like those people? Mm. Or that you are working with and they are just giving you their their um, their like honest opinion. I ended up trusting them and kind of rebuilt like a second version or like starting somehow from scratch. And I really got a bit nervous about what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm s it's like, does it make sense, all of this? So it was a bit of a challenge and even like a task, like doing a second album. Mm. So at some point I felt like, okay, I have just to finish and make a second album and it, I won't get into, I had this idea of doing something that was more like some, some had some kind of shoegaze idea, but mm -hmm. I, I was, uh, because I really liked, especially at that time, I really liked some kind of shoegaze sound. Mm -hmm. And I, my idea was to do some kind of sample or, or synthesizer based, but with some kind of shoegaze feeling and but but this was uh, also very ambitious maybe too ambitious like mm. trying to get too high and I had to reset my ideas and in the end it turned out to be a very good album but I mean how do you know when to trust the people around you and how do you know when to trust your own vision it's very difficult to say I think you need to have different opinions and maybe give it a little time, mm -hmm. check it out by yourself again. And uh, I think it's very personal. It also depends on your self-confidence. Mm -hmm. And um, usually, usually I think it's good if there's some other people around that can give you their, their opinion. Some people, or if there's some people that are really like or they are really important to me and they have an opinion if they have a bad opinion to, or, or not a, I, might, I tend to believe it they're right mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes you might discover okay there are so many other people they have they just think the other way around and I sometimes tend to be easily influenced how to say that other people can in the first in the first moment easily have some influence on me mm -hmm. Even though if it's a, I don't even, even, good and bad influence. So I'm, and I'm like, because I'm often, I'm like questioning myself or I'm in, insecure about w if I'm right or if I like it or if I don't like it. So at this point, I, I don't know, I can tend into the one direction or into the other direction. So sometimes it helps to have opinions by other people, mm -hmm. but sometimes it also can just be, uh, a handicap or mm -hmm. disturbing it's very sensitive you really it really depends on the people and the way they the distance and the respect they have towards uh, 
if you have people with very strong uh, opinions, I don't know, this can <laughs> affect you in a good or in a bad way. We were talking a bit about reinventing yourself. Um, and I wonder if you think that your identity as an artist will sort of always be evolving in some way or another. Like maybe it's not a re total reinvention, but always sort of in motion. I would say a little bit. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure. I don't know exactly. At some point, it feels like that that you're, you have some base. You, you're often coming back to the same kind of basic ideas. Mm -hmm. And things are more evolving, like in the, like in the frame and in the, in the details. Somehow you might always have a little bit of the same idea of feelings, uh, emotions. So it's, it's maybe getting more mature somehow, or, but it's not going to be totally different. Yeah, it kind of sounds like you have sort of this foundation that will always be there no matter what. I, I don't think it's it's something that that's personal with me or that has to do... I, I, I think it's uh, generally like that. I don't know, I have like... A, there's one guy I know who is a musician. He thinks basically you have one or two songs and you're doing them in <laughs> many different <laughs> ways. So maybe that's a bit like like uh, yeah like too simple, put yeah. too simple. But <laughs> but there I see I see uh, some some truth in there. You've been listening to Isole for Air Podcast, episode 56. We'll be back very soon with another episode. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore air podcast or subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast. We've also got a semi-regular Substack newsletter that you can sign up for at airpodcast.substack.com. That's all for this month. Check back in June for another episode. And thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.